It was 1994 in a little country halfway around the world, a poor country. The country was Rwanda. And what took place in 1994 was horrific. Uh, it was genocide. In a hundred days, a million people were killed brutally with machetes and clubs. It was horrific. Fifteen years later, I was fortunate enough to be there and learn from the people in Rwanda. And the president of Rwanda had just pardoned 50,000 men who had been involved in the genocide. And he was releasing 50,000 people who had killed back into the community. They were required to wear a pink shirt. And, and, as, and as you would look on the road, you'd see a person walking from time to time wearing a pink shirt. Um, and it was their prison garb. And it was, it was a sign that that's a person who'd committed murder and, and genocide. And they had to go back. The only way they were pardoned is they had to agree to confess their, their sin um, and then be willing to go back to the village in which they had done this, these incredible crimes. They killed their neighbors and go back and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And they had to wear the shirt as part of their probation until they went before the villages who had the councils. And those villages would... Would, would have a council and help them figure out how to atone for their sin and how to, how to reconcile with the people that had once trusted them that they had killed their families. It was a horrific time. In America, we hide our pink shirts, um, but we have our shame as well our secrets, our fears. Gosh, I'm so broken, so are you. And, and so we walk around and we hide those, those, pink, those pink shirts that would say, I, I deserve, oh, I, I deserve death. Even if you're here today and don't know Jesus, you haven't lived up to your own standards, let alone his. And there's a way in which each of us, if we're honest, we walk around with sometimes buried, sometimes hidden by self-righteousness, sometimes hidden by, hidden by anger, sometimes hidden by, well, we're pretty creative. We live with shame and regret and sorrow and guilt. Now, what does that have to do with Palm Sunday and Easter week and Holy Week? Well, I wanna suggest to you that this week, 2,000 years ago, is the most important week in the history of the world. It is your only hope, my only hope, because, because of the work of Christ, I can put on his coat of righteousness. Not mine, but somehow I don't have to, I don't have to hide my shame anymore. I don't have to live based on my shame anymore. I don't have to live based on my regret and my guilt and my sin and my mistakes because I've made a lot of mistakes. And because 
of the work of Christ. Because of what he did to make all things new. You and I are clothed, not in a, not in a pink shirt of shame, not hiding behind some sort of self-righteousness or pretending you're better or having to find somebody bad enough to compare yourself to so you feel better. No, we have been invited by the very God of the universe to put on his righteousness so we can live differently. That's why Easter week matters. If we only believed that, if, if we only lived based on the truth of what took place so long ago, that somehow there would be a freedom, a freedom to love, a freedom to care for your neighbor, a freedom to risk, a freedom to live. And that freedom been afforded to us by the work of Christ. And that's why Easter matters. So this week, as people celebrate with bunnies and eggs and candy and eat candy and all that sort of stuff, don't shoot an Easter bunny if you see one. Um, but no know that the importance of what took place echoes into eternity. It's our only hope. Note the seriousness of the day and the joy of the day and the hope that we find. So we're going to talk this morning about Palm Sunday, and what often theologians have called Holy Week or Passion Week or Easter Week or these next few days. And I would really want to challenge us as a church to be present in this week, to, to think about what was taking place in eternity during this week, what angels were noticing what was really taking place in a little town halfway around the world called Jerusalem. So, before we talk about God and before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Um, let's pray together. Father, Is it true? Is it, is it true that, that I'm not defined in your eyes by, by my sin, but by your righteousness? Is it true that, that I really have been forgiven? Oh, Father, forgive us. We sometimes make it sound like it's cheap forgiveness. As we think about this week in your history, on your calendar, in your economy, we will see 
What a great price you paid to allow us to have hope. So Father, we thank you that you're here this morning. Father, you know everybody in the room. You brought them here, so you know the couple that fought on the way here. You know the people that are worried. You know the people that are just enrolled in doubt and fear. It's been an odd, odd season for all of us. So would you meet us here this morning? Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use our time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? And for all of us, would you use it to equip us for your great purposes and for your glory? We pray this in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now you're going to find that... There's about eight events in the Bible that show up in all four Gospels. And you'd think if they show up in all four Gospels, they must be pretty important. And this is one of those. The story of the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, shows up in all four Gospels. And so we're going to start this morning and we're going to look at two of the descriptions of that day. We're going to look at Matthew's account and we're going to look at Luke's account. And we're going to just read through those together. And then I'm just going to try to begin the process of inviting you to spend some time this week looking at these accounts and looking at the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the death and resurrection. I think, it'll, I think it'll be really important in your walk. So let's look together in the passage first in Matthew. And if you will, um, if you can, would you mind standing as we read the word of God? And I'm gonna pull up Matthew. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading that to you and, um, and listen to God's word. It says this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethage in the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, <coughs> the prophet didn't cough. He was, he was getting ready to say this instead. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. The others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and then followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when we entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's the passage found in Matthew. Now I'm going to read the passage in Luke, and then we'll sit down and, and, and we'll just kind of think about it together. Chapter 19 of Luke, it says this, And we had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage in Bethany, at the mount of, called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where you entered, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. 
So those who, who he sent away, and they found it just as he had told them. And as they untied the colt, the owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the, on the colt, and Jesus sat on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, there was a whole multitude, and his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. When he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, would there you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Lord bless the reading of his holy word. You can be seated. My son Skylar teaches me a lot. Most of you know Skylar. Uh, he's my 34-year-old son who, who does have autism and sometimes kind of lives more, a, little, a lot younger than 34. And he loves costumes. He loves them. And, and, and the thing about costumes for him is sometimes he starts to kind of believe that what he's putting on is true. Like if we get in an argument in the house, sometimes he'll show up. He'll go upstairs, he'll come down in a Superman costume and it'll say, I've got this. Or, he'll, or sometimes he'll, if he's, if he's scared, he'll sometimes put on a, you know, an Iron Man suit and, and he'll come down and protect the family. And there's something about the way he sees putting on because there's a way in which it changes him. There's a way in which he, he starts to identify with with the clothes that he's putting on, and, and, it, and it changes him. You know, most people show up at church, and they really just have one question. They usually aren't deep theological questions, though those are good questions to have. A lot of times when people show up at church, their real question is, do I have any hope to change? Can I get better? Is life just going to be like this forever? What do I do with my sorrow and my struggles and my shame and my guilt? What do I do with that? And, and they come in our churches and we, and they go, can I change? Am I stuck forever like this? And we tell them to, you know, join this group or join that group. Instead of, instead of engaging them with the truth that God is inviting them inviting his sons and daughters to, to clothe themselves and be changed from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Gosh. No wonder Easter week matters. Because our hope is not based on us. We'd be just stuck with our pink shirts and our shame. Well, there's probably a better name for this sermon than this. Maybe this shows that I 
just really bad, bad understanding of music from the 90s. Um, but the, the title, the working title was uh, You Can't Stop This. And I think there was a, a song once that, but it probably is not even a song think, worth thinking about. But the idea is you can't stop this. And as you read this story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, you're struck by a few things I'd like to just point out. But this is really just a beginning. There's so much for you to to study and learn in this passage that I want you to look at this week. But just some ways to be thinking about this passage together. First of all, it is interesting. For most of Jesus' ministry, he didn't let people, he kind of kept his, who he was um, under wraps. When he would, sometimes, when he would heal somebody, he would say, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. He knew that once the religious leaders realized who he was and who he was claiming to be, um, it would be a it would be a short-lived situation. So he kept that a little quiet. Even told the even told the the um, demons once, "Don't reveal who I am." But this is the last week of his earthly life. Earthly life on on uh, before the before the cross and resurrection. And so he let it be known. And so he comes into Jerusalem um, as a king. There's a couple of things that I want you to note that you can't, you can't stop. It couldn't have been stopped that day, and it can't be stopped now. First, you can't stop his plan. Um, he, you, you can't thwart the will of God. You have a responsibility as his child but you can't stop him. Be aware, sometimes people present God as if he's in a broken down Chevy 10 miles outside of town and we'd better push because he needs our help pushing the car into town to, to, to get some gas money. And that's not the case. We, we worship a powerful, glorious, compassionate God who invites us to be a part of his story, not because he can't do it without us, because he wants you to be about something that matters with your life. And so the first thing I want you to notice in this text is you can't stop his plan. First of all, note, note the way his plan followed the biblical text. It, it followed the prophecy. He was careful to do that. Note, and by the way, don't let somebody present this story to you as if Jesus is a victim of the people around him. He's a God with a plan to redeem creation back unto himself. And he set this in motion. And he sent his disciples to get the cult that would fulfill the prophecy. He sent, he, he picked the day. So not only was the, was the plan his plan, it had so many layers to it that it spoke historically to the Jews. It was during Passover week. You know the story of Passover. That's the story when God's people were saved from the curse by the blood of a lamb being put on their, over their door. And because the blood of the lamb was put over their door, the angel of death passed over them. Uh, a picture drawn like a 
child could mold Play-Doh by, by a God to show what he's going to do later in the creative story of Easter. And so Jesus picked the Passover week because he's the Passover lamb. He actually picked the day. Uh, it, it would, there, there would be a, a day that a Jewish family would, would pick, the, pick the, the sacrifice they would have for, and, and then there'd be a day that they would accept that sacrifice, and that was the day, that very day would have been the day Jesus was entering Jerusalem. So you can't thwart it. It was his plan to begin with. You see it in you see it in the details. You see it in the way that he planned every, everything around it. He, it only, didn't only speak into the history of the Jewish people. It even spoke into the culture of the Roman, the Roman people. In, in Roman understanding, a, a, king would, a, a king or a general, when coming back from war, if they were still in danger and they wanted to show power, they would come in on a horse. But if they had, if they had won their battle decisively. They would come in on a donkey as if to say, I have, I have nothing to be afraid of. I have defeated my enemy. And Hosanna, uh, the, the, the word there, that some theologians have wrestled with exactly what that means. And, some, and one way to see it is it's the word, it's victory. So not only is it a plan that he's following, not only is it a plan that meets a biblical uh, biblical prophecy and authority, not only is it a plan that speaks and, and takes Jewish history and understanding and tradition and, and uses that to tell the story of, his of, of what he's about to do, it also even understands the culture around it to say, the king is entering Jerusalem. Um, that was Schuyler, by the way, leaving the church. Evidently, he... <laughs> He didn't like my story, evidently. I'm just saying. <laughs> so the first thing I'd want you to note from this text is you can't stop his plan. He will make all things new. You can't stop his plan. Second thing I'd, note, I'd want you to note is... Um, you can't stop his glory. I love, the, I love when the Pharisees in the Luke section, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, they say, would you, this is getting out of hand. This, this is getting out of hand. There's a little bit too much going on here. Could you quiet these people down? I mean, this is, we, we need you to do something about this. And I love Jesus' response. He says, I could get the rocks to sing my praises. I get these, we could get these people to shut up, but you can't stop the glory of God. You can't, he can't not be who he is. He might be humbly on a donkey. He might be knowing that he's walking into his sacrificial death for our behalf, but you can't stop his glory. And so they say, shut up. Get these people to shut up. And he goes, I could get the rocks, the very rocks to sing my praise. Now I know, don't, don't split a church over this and, and there's another side to what I'm about to teach and, and, and 
Try to keep it in perspective. God doesn't need you. Sometimes we'll hear in churches, and, and it is true, the harvest is great and the workers are, 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 are few. I, that, that's true. But sometimes we, kinda, we, we present it as if God can't do anything without us instead of he chooses to use us in his grand plan because he'd like you to be a part of this story of redemption. You can either tell a story of your own life and, and I mean, go big. Tell a great story of your life and it'll last 70 years and nobody will remember it in three decades. I don't know my grandfather's middle name. Or you can realize that God invites you to be a part of his grand story, the grand narrative, the meta story of the entire universe, the, the, arc, of, the arc of beginning to end. He allows you to be a part of that story. The problem is the, the star of that story, the hero of that story has already been determined, and that's Jesus. And you can be a part of his grand story or you can tell a little story of your own. But it's not that he needs you. He could get the rocks to sing his praises. It's that he wants you. Jesus didn't save you to use you. Jesus didn't save you to use you. He saved you because he loves you. Did you, do you know the difference? So first, I would tell you, you can't stop his plan. And second, I would tell you, you can't stop his glory. Thirdly, you can't stop his tears. You can't stop his compassion. <laughs> Even in the midst of people cheering, and he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. I, I used to trained counselors at Reform Seminary years ago. And so we watched all the counselors. We, they had to, people came in and they were videotaped and people watched all the counseling. And from time to time, we would ask people how things are going and was this counselor helpful and all that sort of stuff because we you know, wanted, to, wanted to do a pretty good job. And I remember a person one time telling me, that, that, that person really helped me. And I said, well, well, how did they help you? They said, they cried for me. So, um, and I was the professor, so I should have said something like, hmm, tell me more. Um, but instead I was, well, how did that help? I said, I knew when they cried for me that I wasn't alone. I knew when they cried for me that my life and story mattered. And I knew when they cried for me that I had hope. Can't stop his plan. You can't stop his glory. And you can't stop his tears. Oh, God is holy and God is righteous. But God is compassionate. The final act of love is forgiveness. And he's about to forgive. 
Sometimes if you're struggling right now, if you're, if you're hurting in your life right now, if things aren't going well in your life right now, you can trust a God who weeps for you. You can trust a God who looks at a, when he sees a world taking a cheaper path, when he sees a world taking the lesser things, that he, he weeps. So Jesus enters Jerusalem. You're not gonna stop his plan. You're not gonna stop his glory. You can't stop his tears. And lastly, you can't stop his purpose. See, this same crowd later on in the week was yelling crucify him because they, they were wanting a different outcome. Now, you and I have been kind of tired of COVID. We've been kind of wrestling with that for about two years. The Jews had had the Romans for 500. And they were tired of the Romans. They were exhausted with the way that they, they, they mocked their traditions and they, they took things from them. And, and they weren't all sure about who Jesus was, but he sure seemed like a king. He might have looked like a pauper, but he sure sounded like a king. And so there was excitement about maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this is what's going to happen. He's going to come in and he's cleaning house and Rome's going to be brought to its knees. We'll be on top. See that? You see, you can't change his purpose. He was wanting to set them free, but set them free from something much, much more than just a government or a culture or a situation or a job. He wanted to set them free to be sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. God doesn't promise an easy life. He does promise a purposeful one. And he came to set them free, but not in the way they wanted. But you can't stop his purposes. So there's, there's a hundred things you could get from this story. And I hope, you, I hope you mind those this week and read over it over and over again in all four gospels. But at least begin with the categories of what what can't be stopped in this story? As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, what can't be stopped? And I would suggest his plan, and therefore his power, his compassion, his tears, his purpose, they can't be stopped. So, Real quick, we've just got a few minutes. So what? Well, I would love for you this week, I'd like for us as a church to enter into this week differently. Um, to, uh, on Monday, as, as you, and, and I, I would suggest that you read the Gospel of John's account. And the reason is the last third of the Gospel of John from John 12 on is about from this point on. And so, I would, I would suggest that you read the Gospel of John starting tonight and just 
think through the week as it goes. Think through on, on Monday, you're going to have... Um, Notice how God tells a story. On Monday, he clears a temple. There's a fig tree. Tuesday, he teaches and he's confronted by the, by the leaders and, the, and the, the religious leaders that try to trip him up. On Wednesday, they sometimes call it the silent day. Some, some tradition says that's when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Um, it's a great time of reflection. Thursday, oh, that's the day that he teaches and we have the Last Supper. Thursday night to early Friday morning, you have the Garden of Gethsemane. And Friday, you have the trials and the crucifixion. Would you, would you allow yourself to enter into the importance of those events through this week? Because all this ends on Sunday when Jesus is raised from the dead. And it's the stamp that says, it's all true. It's not just mere hope. It's not just mere, I hope so. I wish it on me. Maybe, it'll, no. Jesus is raised from the dead. The price is paid. My pink shirt of shame is taken off and replaced by his coat of righteousness. So this week, I'd ask you to, to be serious about, you know, and, and I know that, um, just be serious about what takes place each day. Spend a few minutes praying about that. Even do something kind of silly and symbolic, like wear a pink shirt on Thursday and Friday and rip it off, you know, on Sunday morning. To do something to remind you of what he's about in your life. I, I would also ask um, if... Um, if you don't know, um, if you don't know him, or if this seems, um, if this seems odd to you, don't leave our service today without, the elders will be to my left, your right, in that area behind there, and elders make sure a few of you go there afterwards to talk with you about any of this. And they'll pray with you. If you're struggling with something, we're all struggling with something. We just, we're just covering ourselves with nice clothes over our pink shirts. Go and talk to him. But if you don't know Jesus and you don't know the work that he's doing to make you alive, to allow you to be in relationship with him, oh, please talk with him about that today. So this week, I want you to notice and name your pink shirt. Notice the things you feel shame about. Notice the things that embarrass you. Notice the things that make you want to withdraw instead of engage people. Notice and name those things. Because as you bring those before the Lord this week, he'll, he'll change you. He'll, he'll let you see that that's not the defining factor of you. It's his code of righteousness that is. So... Remember, you serve a God who is in control. It's powerful. You can't stop his plan. And you serve a God who, is, who can't, won't be thwarted. His great purpose will not be changed by you, but you're invited to be changed by it. 
happy Palm Sunday. Happy Easter. For it is all true. This is not philosophy. It's reality. 